If you have your Bibles, grab them. Uh, Jonah chapter 2 is where we'll be uh, camping out today. We took three weeks, I think, through chapter 1, and we'll do all of chapter 2 in a week. So aren't you impressed? Chapter 2 is where we'll be today. Uh, In the late 1700s, early 1800s, there was a man uh, named by William Carey. Some of you may have heard of him. He was uh, one of the fathers of American uh, missions. William Carey had a heart for India, and he wanted so badly to to go to India and to be sent by his church to India uh, to reach uh, the Indians with the gospel. And as he commissioned his church and called his church and the leadership at his church to support and fund and send him uh, to India, they responded uh, to his desire with this phrase. If God wanted to save the heathen, he can do it without us. You see, Jonah is not the only one hoarding grace and quickly condemning others. This book is just as much about God redeeming Jonah as it is God redeeming the Ninevites. Just as the leadership in William Carey's church we are more often like Jonah than we think or care to admit. But thankfully, God pursues after us just as hard as he pursues after Jonah. This book was written for a particular reason. It was inspired and written not just as a historical account, but as a means to bring spiritual renewal or revival to Israel and to us. It was meant, this, this story of Jonah was meant to convict the Israelites, to change them, to bring spiritual renewal to them so that they might do what God had called them to do, which was to be a light to the nations so that all of the whole world would see the glory of Yahweh. They were failing in that task as Jonah is the picture of. This book is written in an effort to bring spiritual renewal to them. Today, we stand as a new covenant people, a people that God has not called merely to be a light to the nations, to, to stand here and be a light hoping they come, but he has called us to go, to go and be a light to others to bring revival, to bring spiritual renewal to our families and our communities and to the world through the proclamation of the gospel. Our world right now needs revival, needs spiritual renewal, spiritual awakening. Our world needs hope. Our families are broken. Our community is broken. Our world is broken. We have a broken political system, broken families. People living in abject poverty, people addicted to drugs, people living in the throes of depression and anxiety and hopelessness. We have churches full of people living in sin with no repentance. Christians living nominally for Jesus. That is to say they go to church, they say they believe, but they don't live out for him. Jesus is an afterthought in their lives. Striving for holiness, studying the scripture has become something only Jesus freaks do. We are more like Jonah than we ever cared to admit. 
And so as we dive into Jonah chapter 2 this morning, we must see that before we can ever see revival happen in our family, in our communities, in the world, that spiritual renewal must first come to the people of God. Before it can go to the world, it must become before the people of God. Jonah chapter 2, starting in verse 1. You'll remember, Jonah ran from God, just to catch you up, Jonah has run from God. God called him to go to Nineveh. He didn't want to go to Nineveh because he didn't like them. He runs away, gets on a boat. God sends a storm. Uh, They finally figure out that the reason for the storm is because of Jonah, and Jonah tells them to throw him overboard. They throw him into the ocean, and a giant fish, Loch Ness Monster, whale creature, swallows him up, and that's where we pick up, Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. And the roots of the mountains I went down to the land whose bars closed up upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. This is the word of the Lord. Revival and spiritual renewal doesn't come because we have revival services. Spiritual renewal comes when the Lord finally gets our attention, often having to hit rock bottom, or we end up in the belly of a whale. See, God gets Jonah's attention finally in the belly of the whale. And at least what we see is that the beginnings of spiritual renewal are happening in Jonah's heart. Think about it. Before Nineveh, before Nineveh can get the message that God wants them to get, before Nineveh hears the message that could lead them to repentance and faith and be saved, first, Jonah must be changed. God has to get Jonah before he gets Nineveh. Before we can expect our family, our community, and the world to change, to be renewed, the people of God, church, must be renewed first. See, we will not see spiritual renewal come to our community until it comes to the people of God first. We can never force revival to happen. We can never manipulate or pull God's strings to get him to do something. Growing up, and when I was in the youth group, you know, and I always thought and believed that if we just had cooler music and cooler lights and cooler stages and cooler fog machines or whatever, then then God would move, Right? But it was always something else, always something else. If we had that, if we had that, then God would move. But we could never force him to move. We could never make him move. Instead, what I want us to see this morning are five things in Jonah's life in the belly of the whale. 
five things, five marks of spiritual renewal. That when the Lord moves, these are the things that happen. These are the things that change in us, in our lives. And these are the things that we should do to align ourselves to get God to move. The first, the first marker, or marker of spiritual renewal is a brokenness over our own sin. The whole first chapter, the entire reason for Jonah's running away from God to get on the boat and all that is centered around Jonah's hatred for the Ninevites, for the Assyrians. He hates them because they are violent, wicked, sinful, godless people. They are a threat and he hates everything about them. Jonah has been entirely focused on the sins of the Ninevites and his hatred for them, all the while ignoring his own failures and sin. And is that not us sometimes, oftentimes? I mean, how easy do we pick out the sins of others while completely ignoring or missing together our own sins? How often do we hear a sermon and go, man, I really hope so-and-so's listening to that one. Man, they sure do need that. Not only do we notice the sins of others more than our own, but we take them more seriously. Man, they really need to get that together. Man, they really need to fix that. Man, they really need to work on that. We downplay our own sins, right? We call them struggles, right? We downplay our own issues that they're just struggles. And because we know our own motivations, because we know our own hearts, or we think we know our own hearts, We understand, like, I'm trying, and so it's not as big of a deal because it's complicated, right? But other people, we just see that all, they just messed up, they just did wrong. And so for them, we expect discipline and judgment. For us, we expect grace and patience, time. And so we are quick to give ourselves grace while we take the sins of others very seriously. You know, I see this all the time in my children. Uh, one of my kids will get in trouble doing something they shouldn't have been doing. And uh, when I get on to them, when I catch them or whatever, what do they immediately do? Daddy, I'm sorry. I won't do it again. I didn't mean it. Daddy, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I said I was sorry. I didn't mean it. I'm sorry. Please don't let me. I don't want to be in trouble. I won't do it again. Let them off the hook. Give them a stern talking to. Let them go. And then you find what five minutes later that that same kid who is in trouble comes back and says, Daddy, so-and-so took my toy. Daddy, so-and-so did this. Go get them. Go correct the situation. Go get on to them. They should be in trouble. They want mercy for themselves and they want judgment for their siblings. And are we not like that? I'm sorry, I won't do it again. I didn't mean it. I love that I didn't mean it one. Yes, you did mean it. You may not like it, but you meant it. And you want grace, and you want your siblings to be righted. Jonah, at the end of chapter one, confessed. He he owned up to being responsible for the storm. He's been thrown overboard, swallowed by this well. And in the first few verses, he describes the terror that he is feeling as he sinks down to the bottom of the ocean and as he is gobbled up by this fish whale thing. 
because he's experiencing the discipline of the Lord. As he sinks deeper and deeper into the ocean, he, he describes it as the, the weeds, like the seaweed is entangling him. Darkness is enveloping him. He is being tossed by the waves, just swirling about, and then he is swallowed by this whale. Now, these, this is not like Pinocchio's dad in the whale where he's got like a seat and a cabin and he's got room to live and stretch out. You know, that's not what this is like. Instead, Jonah is squished, smushed inside a belly. It is dark. There is stomach acid eating away at his skin and he's try, he is being digested. He is growing more and more aware of the reality and the severity of his own sin. He is moving his attention off of the sins of the Ninevites and realizing his own and the consequences of his own sin. And it takes Jonah seeing these consequences of his sin before he can begin to see the actual evil of his own heart. See, sometimes the Lord lets us hit rock bottom. It just gives us enough rope to hit rock bottom before we are finally at a place to slow down and stop blaming everyone else and turn our eyes on ourselves. We can stop looking at the speck in everyone else's eyes and finally see the log sticking out of our own eye. This was never more real for me when I was in Kentucky. There was a, a good friend of mine named Hunter, and we, me and Hunter went hunting together and uh, camping together and did all these things together. His family was in church every week. and um, But Hunter just wasn't really, he was more into girls and sports. And and I, I had been trying to to reach Hunter, trying to get his attention, trying to talk to him about Jesus, and he really just didn't want to have, have anything to do with him. And he was kind of getting in trouble and getting in trouble, but nothing would really wake him up until one night he went to a party and got so wasted that as he was driving back, he blacked out and ran into uh, one of the little shops in our little Mayberry town, hit it, backed up, and kept going home and hit his truck at a gas station and went, walked home and got to bed. At 5 a.m., the cops bust down his door and took him to jail. And that was rock bottom for him. It was a wake-up call. And as I got to meet with him and talk with him, changed his life. God used that to open up his mind and his heart to realize his own sin and failings and shortcomings and that he needed Jesus. And since then, as he came to know Jesus, his life has been completely different, complete 180. See, there can be no revival, no spiritual renewal without a deep recognition and brokenness over the depths of our sin. There are plenty of people out there who want to tell you, here's how, you, here's how to be happy, how to connect to God, how to grow spiritually, how to be all God wants you to be. There's plenty of books all about sunshine and roses. But if it does not begin with a high view of the holiness of God and a resulting brokenness and lamenting over our own sin, then it is not the way to spiritual renewal. Spiritual renewal always begins with brokenness over our sin. The closer we grow to God, the more holy we will see that he is. And we will begin to see our own sin in our own lives like we never before. Like, it's like when Paul, the guy who writes three quarters of the New Testament, says, I am the chief of sinners. What? Dude, you're like, like the best guy around. What do you mean you're the chief of sinners? Because the closer you get to God, as the light shines brighter, you begin to see all of these things in your heart and your life. You're like, man, I didn't know that was there. 
Oh man, I didn't see that before. Oh man, I didn't know that. And all this, all these sins, all these issues begin to creep up and you're like, oh my goodness, I'm a lot worse than I thought. You begin to see motivations and idols in our lives. We, it was easy to see all these big sins, but when we see these, all these deeper ones are much more sinister. Spiritual renewal never begins with God's love. It begins with brokenness over our sin. God's love then shines in and is amazing because somehow we get to be the object of God's love despite the fact of how broken and sinful we are. And when you see just how broken and sinful you are, and yet still God's persistent love for you, you will find the beginnings of spiritual renewal and revival in your life. Revival always begins with a brokenness over sin. Look at the second one, verse seven. Jonah says, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. When his life was fainting away, when it looked like he was going to die, he remembers the Lord. I've seen only two ways that people face death in their life. Just a few weeks ago, we buried a longtime church member, uh, Betty Red, And uh, a couple months ago, Betty got a really bad diagnosis uh, of, of cancer. And, and I went to see Betty at her house to see how she was doing. And, and she, she still had all of her strength and she was doing well. And she looked at me and she said, Brent, I'm not, I'm not afraid. And if it's my time to go home and meet Jesus, that I'm okay with that. That I'm excited about. She said, I'll be sad. I'm going to miss my grandchildren because I love them a lot. I'm going to miss seeing them grow up. But I'm okay. Fast forward a few weeks and a few months, and the cancer began to take hold, and she began to get sicker and weaker. And I went to see her. She was declining and fading, and she looked at me, and she asked me, said, Brent, is it okay if I stop fighting? Is it okay if I give in because I want this to be over and I want to go home? She wasn't sure if it was okay for her to give in. And I looked at her and I said, Betty, Jesus is waiting with arms wide open for you, waiting to say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. She began to cry and smiled. And she said, thank you. That gives me more peace than you could ever imagine. See, when you know Jesus, when you know him, death isn't scary because it's only the beginning. Death is the doorway by which we begin our true lives with Jesus. But Jonah, Jonah wasn't like Betty. Jonah was not at the, at the place Betty was at. It took coming face to face with death to wake Jonah up. From his rebellion. It was the terror and the fear of his own demise that caused him to remember the Lord. See, Betty had always remembered the Lord. Before the hard days came, Betty knew the Lord. And so when the hard days came, they weren't so hard. She was ready for them. Jonah. Jonah did not know the Lord in such a way. He had been ignoring God. He had been running from God, and now he was turning his back on him, running away. See, for revival and spiritual renewal to happen in your life, you must refocus your attention on the Lord. 
Don't wait until you hit rock bottom for the Lord to wake you up. Don't make the Lord have to try to get your attention because it's not going to be pleasant. Don't wait until you are on death's door to finally say, maybe I should think about these things. So many of us living hectic lives, running here and there, glued to our phone all hours of the day, distracted, not cutting out any time for the Lord. Spiritual renewal doesn't happen to you because you have left no room in your life for God, like Jonah running away, sleeping on the bottom of the boat in the middle of the storm, left no room for the Lord to speak. And so the Lord said, okay, well, I'll put you in the bottom of the ocean in the belly of a fish. Maybe then you'll listen. Maybe God has been sending you signs and storms and yelling, trying to wake you up and get your attention, but you haven't looked up from your phone long enough to hear him. There is no app for spiritual renewal. There is no quick fix. You want it to happen, you want to make space in your life for the Lord to change, and you're going to have to plan time in your day to read, to read his word, to pray, to focus on him, like, you know, to focus on the Lord like he's the most important thing in your life. Crazy idea, right? Because he is, or at least he should be. When spiritual renewal happens, not only is it marked by brokenness over sin, but it's also marked by a refocused attention on the Lord. Now, notice the end of verse 7. He says, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Jonah didn't pray when God told him to go to Nineveh. When God said go to Nineveh, he didn't go, let me contemplate this. Let me meditate this. Let me me talk to the Lord for a minute about this. He didn't pray when he went looking for a boat uh, to flee. He didn't pray when the storm was threatening to sink his boat and kill everyone on board. But now he's in the belly of the whale at the bottom of the ocean, and he prays. How often do we wait until the moment of crisis to pray? How often do days and weeks go by without us praying? But then someone ends up in the hospital, some crisis happens in our lives, and we go, oh, yeah, yeah, we got to pray. That's all, it's a last-ditch effort. We pray hard for God to deliver, to rescue, and to heal, and to save And despite the fact that we have not been praying or seeking the Lord, still the Lord in his kindness listens. Still he cares and still he answers. When God begins to bring us back to him, when God brings renewal and revival to our hearts, it leads us to a renewed prayer life. Not a prayer life marked by short formulaic prayers. That mean little to us. Not a prayer life marked by merely asking God for things, but one marked in adoring God, marveling at God, thanking God, asking him questions, meditating on him. Spiritual renewal comes when we find that praying becomes less boring. When praying becomes less formulaic. When praying becomes less a duty and it becomes delight. Where when we wake up in the morning, we long to speak to our Father. Remember, Jonah is in the belly of the whale, not because God is angry with Jonah, but because God is pursuing after Jonah's heart. When God brings spiritual renewal to you, it is marked by brokenness over sin, refocus attention on the Lord in a renewed prayer life. Verse 8. 
Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I vowed I will pay. You know what Jonah is doing here? Jonah is recommitting to the mission that God first called him to. It is like Jonah is saying, okay, God, I get the point. You want me to go to Nineveh? Got it. I'll go. How many times in our lives have you committed or made a New Year's resolution to start reading the Bible only to either never start or never making it past Genesis or Leviticus? How many times have you said, okay, God, I I know you are leading me to share the gospel with this person I work with. I I know that you are leading me to, uh, uh, to, to forgive this person that I've been fighting with only to commit to do it and then put it off again and again. How often has God clearly said, I need you to do this? Just pressed upon you to do this. And we resist. When God brings spiritual renewal to your life, there will be a renewed passion to pursue the things God has called you to do. Renewed passion to share the gospel with the lost people in your life. A passion that overcomes your anxiety and fear of doing that. Renewed passion to study his word. Renewed passion to go wherever he leads you. A renewed passion to give all of your life to the Lord. That all of your life is for him and for his glory. Spiritual renewal is marked by brokenness over sin. Refocused attention on the Lord. Renewed prayer life and a renewed passion to live for God. That your whole life would be an instrument in his hand to be used and wielded for his own purpose. Finally, the fifth mark. Verse 9 and 10, he says, Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. This phrase, salvation belongs to the Lord, is the Not a, but the one prevailing message of the entire Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, God is telling the wondrous story of how he would rescue his people. How he would rescue you from sin and darkness and bring you into the kingdom of his marvelous light. The Bible is not a book of rules. It is not a book of how-tos, how to do this, how to have a better marriage, how to raise your kids, how to do this or that. It is not that. It is a book about how God loved and saved a rebellious, wicked people and made them his own and brought them into his family. And so when Jonah says, salvation belongs to the Lord, he has two things. I think there's two things going on. One, This fish has just spit him up onto dry land, delivered him from the middle of the ocean, falling down deep into despair where he was going to die. And this fish saved him. That God, by his sovereign hand, sent a fish to swallow Jonah, take him back to the dry land, back in the direction that he fled from, and to spit him up. That he saved him from a horrible death in the depths of the sea by the sovereign mighty hand of God. But on another level, he is saying that salvation on a whole, that his whole salvation, not just from the ocean, but from sin and death, has been from the Lord. The fact that he was born an Israelite, the fact that God was pursuing him across the sea, 
was a reminder that the Lord is the author of salvation from beginning to end. So if God wants to save the Ninevites, then that's God's prerogative, they must have thought. God is allowed to have mercy on whomever he wants to have mercy on. And you, Jonah, do not get to tell God he doesn't get to have mercy on them because you don't like them or think they're unworthy of it. Because as Jonah is beginning to learn, he is just as unworthy of the mercy of God as the Ninevites are. I'm afraid that like Jonah, we lose the wonder of our salvation. We lose the the awe and the wonder of the gospel. The wonder that is the miracle of our salvation that we grow accustomed and used to what is scandalous and outrageous that the God of the universe would save us. So I want to remind us and I want you to, to sit and maybe even close your eyes and I want you to think on this for a minute. Before God created the sun or the moon, he knew you. Before God created the stars and the world, he knew you. And he loved you. He knew that you would rebel against him. He knew that you would fight him and run away, and so he formed a plan. He created the world knowing that we would break it, and yet still he never gave up on his plan. Because he loved us. He could have left us to die eternal deaths in a fiery hell for all eternity, but he loved us. And so he kept to his plan. He came. God became a man. God walked this life we walk in our shoes. God never disobeyed his parents. He never lied, never cheated, never lusted after a woman. He was perfect in every way, and yet he was treated like a criminal. Grabbed in the middle of the night in a sham trial, was held and sentenced to death. Death in the worst possible way, crucifixion. An innocent man, truly actually innocent in every sense of the word, beaten, whipped, mocked, humiliated, tortured, and killed. And all was going according to plan. Not one word, not one moment outside the plan of God from the before the foundations of the world. God was trading himself for you. The innocent for the guilty. You see, God went through hell. He literally went through hell on earth so that you would never know an ounce of the hell you deserve. We deserve. And so they place his dead body in a borrowed tomb And just as Jonah spent three days in the belly of a fish, so did God spend three days in the belly of the earth. And just as the fish spit Jonah back up safely, so did the earth, so did death itself hand God back to the land of the living. And just like that, the plan from the beginning of time, the plan for a people who rebelled against their God was accomplished. The broken world could now be fixed. The lost sons and daughters could now come home because God was not building a kingdom of subjects, but building a kingdom full of one family. And so now you were born. And you were born into a particular family, a particular country, on a particular night. 
Maybe you met the right friends. Maybe you heard the right sermon. Maybe you were talked into going to church camp to meet cute girls. But one day, you heard the gospel and it clicked. Maybe you cried, maybe you ran an aisle, maybe it just all made sense in a moment, but you confessed your sin, you pleaded with the Lord to forgive you, and he did. And you couldn't help it. You believed, you trusted, you confessed. You gave your life to him. And now as you look back on your life, you see that the whole time, unbeknownst to you, while you were just living your life, doing your thing, maybe running from God, maybe just doing your own thing, that God was after you. Like God was after Jonah, chasing Jonah across the sea, that you see when you look back in your life that all along God was coming after you. You never knew. I didn't leave you to your own devices to figure it out, but he came and pursued you. And truly, before the foundations of the world, he was going to come for you. He had his eyes set on you to save you. Can we not truly say that salvation is from the Lord? Salvation is of the Lord. It's not something we buy, not something we do, not something we achieve, but something he gives. See, we must never take our salvation for granted. It is a wondrous, miraculous thing, a thing we could never afford, but what was purchased for us through the blood of God, the blood of the creator. And through it, we have been adopted into his family. William Tyndale translated the Bible into English uh, around 100 years before the King James Bible was translated into English. And the Roman Catholic Church did not like the Bible being translated to English, and so they burned William Tyndale at the stake. But do you know what he said about the gospel? The gospel being the good news that Jesus died for our sins. William Tyndale, he said, the gospel is merry, glad, joyful news that makes a man's heart glad and makes him sing and dance and leap for joy. And so someone asked, why don't we see more William Tyndales singing and dancing and leaping for joy in our churches today? It is because we have lost the wonder of our salvation. We have lost the joy of our salvation. Because we forgot how sinful we are and what it costs to save us. Spiritual renewal, revival will not come to our families and our communities in the world until it first comes to the people of God. And when it does, when renewal comes to your life, to our church, to our community, to the world, it will be marked by a fresh brokenness over our sin and taking our sin really seriously and being broken over it. It will be marked by refocused attention on the Lord, by a renewed prayer life, by renewed passion to live for God, and it will be marked by fresh wonder at our salvation. We never get over it. We never get past it. We can't wrap our minds around the fact that God would save me, that he would do all this and he would pursue after me. This morning, we have the great opportunity to celebrate the Lord's Supper, which is a gift from God meant to be this physical reminder of what our salvation costs and what we were worth to God despite our sin, that we were worth his body being broken and his blood being poured out. And so if you are here this morning 
and you have, been, you have given your life to Jesus. You have bowed your knees in submission and made him your king, confessed your sin, and you have been made whole and been born again, brought into the family of God. Then as you take this meal, remember that your sin, past, present, and future has been wiped clean that you are a child of God. And no matter how often you're like Jonah and want to run away, no matter how often you rebel, no matter how often you're not broken over your sin, how much you don't give attention to the Lord, how you're not wonder at your salvation, you don't wonder at your salvation. Despite all of those things, his body and blood were broken and poured out for you and your slate is wiped clean every single morning. His mercies are new. And as you take this weird cracker and juice, Remember that before the foundations of the world, God knew your face and knew your name, and he knew all the terrible things you would think, feel, and do, and he said, I'm going to bring them into my family, and I'm going to send my son to die for you. So as you eat this meal, remember the joy of your salvation. And like David, let us pray, God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. If you are here this morning and you do not know Jesus, Maybe you're religious. Maybe you believe there's a God, but deep down you know you do not belong to his family. You have not surrendered your life to his. You have not come in confession over your sin, asking him to forgive you and giving your life to him. Then instead of taking this meal, I'm gonna stand right over there while we pass it out. Run to me as fast as you can. Get up and come. Let me show you how this free gift can become yours. Do not be blinded by being religious because religion won't save you. Do not be blinded that you were baptized at some point if it wasn't real. Do not be blinded that you believe in God. And so that's what you're supposed to do, right? Believe in God. Do not be blinded by those things. The devil wants you to think that you're safe and secure when maybe in reality you are like me at 15 years old who had been baptized twice already, once as a baby, another time because I was scared to go to hell. But then the Lord smacked me in the face like Jonah in the belly of the whale, saying, Brent, you... You, you repeated some prayer. You were baptized as a baby. That didn't do anything for you. You're a sinner and you need to come in confession and ask for my forgiveness and make me your Lord and Savior. Boy, let me tell you, after I finally got it, it changed my life. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've been playing religious games and you need to stop. Don't take this meal this morning. Come grab me. I want to show you how to be saved. Parents, if you have your kids in here with you, that is a wonderful but unless they've believed and probably followed the Lord in baptism, don't let them take this meal. Instead, use it to show them that, the, that you can't believe for them. That one day they must believe the promises of God. They must believe the gospel for themselves. You can't do it. And when they do, they can take this meal with the rest of the family of God. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning and we're grateful that despite our own sin, despite our own rebellion, despite our own wickedness, you love us and you come after us. God, there are different kinds of people in this room this morning. There are those who belong to your family. And if they are here this morning and they're discouraged or they're beat down or they're wondering if you could ever love them or ever get, you know, get past the, the things that they've done, show them that all of their sin, even the sin they haven't committed yet, has already been paid for and wiped clean. And for those in this room who are either just running from you as fast as they can, want nothing to do with you, or those that are so close but haven't actually crossed that line yet, who are so close but have never actually confessed and believed and made you the Lord and Savior. 
have been playing religious games. God, of those people, would you convict them and show them right now that they need to come and give their lives to you? That this meal is not for them because they don't belong to the family of God. They just believe in some God. But God, would you show them they need to become yours? Father, would you help us to be a church who invests in the next generation, invests in the kids here, that they would believe for themselves what their parents cannot do for them. Father, let this meal encourage us and remind us that you love us, that we're more sinful than we could ever imagine and yet more love than we could ever dare hope. Thank you, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Our deacons will pass this out. Hold it, wait. I'll come back up here and we will take this meal together. If you want to talk, I'll be over there.